if the history of the nation of Judah had gone much differently. Hello again, friends. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today on Encounter God's Truth, we begin our preparations for the Christmas season with a series on the fears and faith of Joseph. Our speaker is theologian Dr. John Whitcomb, and today he will open this in-depth study on the man who is possibly the most neglected person in the Christmas story, Joseph, the one who adopted the baby Jesus as his own son. Dr. Wickham begins by rehearsing the historical background that led to a situation where Joseph could never be king. We start by turning to Matthew chapter 1 and Jeremiah chapter 22 to understand the reason why Joseph, the rightful heir to the throne in Jerusalem, if there had been one, could not be king. Yet, of course, his adopted son is the king, Jesus Christ the Lord. Here now to help us understand this fascinating story is Dr. John Whitcomb. Friends, I welcome you at the beginning of this Christmas season to think about a person who absolutely said nothing, but was one of the most famous men in the history of the world, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, whose name was Joseph. Now, Matthew chapter 1 gives us Joseph's genealogy, his connection right back to King David through Solomon, and the one who therefore should have, could have, might have inherited the kingship of the nation of Israel. But there was a problem. Remember, 600 years before Joseph appeared on this earth, his ancestor, King Jehoiakim, fell under the curse of God. Matthew 1 puts it this way. To Josiah, verse 11, were born Jeconiah, that's Jehoiakim, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. But when you look back at Jeremiah 22, you see what happened to Jeconiah. He was actually a grandson of Josiah, okay, son of Jehoiakim. But he only reigned about three months, and God cursed him for something we're not fully clear to understand. Listen to this. Jeremiah twenty-two twenty-four. As I live, declares the Lord, even though Kuniah, that's Jeconiah, Jehoiakim, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, even though he were a signet ring on my right hand, Yet I would pull you off, and I shall give you over to under the hand of those who are seeking your life. Yes, into the hand of those whom you dread, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. Now listen to what's going to happen to him. I shall hurl you and your mother, who bore you, into another country, where you were not born, and there you will die. But as for the land to which they desire return, they shall not return to it. Kuniah Jeconiah, Jehoiakim never saw the Holy Land again. Well, what happened to him? Listen carefully. Verse 28. Is this man, Kuniah, a despised shattered jar? Or is he an undesirable vessel? Why have he and his descendants been hurled out and cast into a land that they had not known? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Now listen carefully, friends. Very important point. Write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants, I mean, childless doesn't mean he has no children, it means they will not be, what, legitimate children in the sense of inheriting the kingship of Israel. He might as well have had no child. He will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Now, friends, isn't that amazing? Because we know his grandson, don't we? Zerubbabel became the governor. So amazingly, Zerubbabel, though he was the governor 
of the nation in the rebuilding of the second temple in Jerusalem. He knew he could not be king. No more king would ever rule in Judah. Why? Because they had a curse upon them, Jeconiah's curse. By the way, uh, what finally happened to Jeconiah, Jehoiakim? We read in Second Kings chapter 25, verse 27. It came about in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, 27th day of the month, that Abel Merodach, Amel Marduk, king of Babylon, in the year that he became king, released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. By now, Jehoiakim is about 55 years old. All these years he had been in this, in this prison by meditating, I'm sure, on the sermons of Jeremiah that he'd heard and rejected and suppressed, just like his uncle Zedekiah. And so the king did what? This is the successor, you remember, of Nebuchadnezzar. He spoke kindly to him. Isn't that amazing? And set his throne above the throne of the kings who were with him, the only throne he ever sat on, friends, really, was one in Babylon that was a setup, you see, by the Babylonians to make him feel good and to have good relations with the program in Judea, in Jerusalem. Okay? And Jehoiakim changed his prison clothes and had meals in the king's presence regularly all the days of his life. For his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. And amazingly, friends, in God's providence, archaeologists have excavated in Babylon some tablets dated back to about 592 B.C., five or six years after Jehoiakim and his mother were shipped off to Babylon. And on these tablets are ration receipts, for Yochin, Jehoiakim, and his five sons. Isn't that amazing? And so he had plenty of years to think back at what Jeremiah had said and the other prophets of God about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he was a part of that. He was uh, guilty as, they, as his uncles and, and as his father. And I say that is an amazing thing, that he languished in a prison in Babylon all these years as the last legitimate king whose descendants would never actually function as king. So during these centuries, what is going to happen in Israel if they can't have a king? You see, God knew there was an answer, namely Joseph in Matthew 1. Let's turn and see what happened now. Joseph, friends, was one of the most amazing men in all of ancient history. 2,000 years ago, he appeared to do what? To 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 take baby Jesus as his own son, even though he wasn't his son, because baby Jesus had no other human father, born of a virgin. An amazing, amazing record. Listen to Matthew chapter 1. After the deportation to Babylon, verse 12, to Jeconiah, Jehoiakim, were born Shealtiel, and to him, Zerubbabel, as we've seen, the governor of Jerusalem, to superintend the building of the second temple. All right. Now, coming down the line to verse 16, are there Matthew 1:16. Listen carefully. To Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus, who is the Christ. Now, this is one of the strongest evidences for the virgin birth of Jesus because we these words by whom is a feminine singular indicating clearly that Jesus was born of Mary only and not of Mary and Joseph. By whom? Feminine. By Mary was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So Joseph was her husband, as we shall see, but not the father 
of her baby. Isn't this amazing? And so uh, we come down here now, beginning in verse 18, Matthew 1.18. Listen carefully what it says about Joseph. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. You remember she had, at the time that she was told by Gabriel that she would be the mother of Jesus, she left Nazareth and went down to Judea to be with her cousin Elizabeth. And for three months she stayed with Elizabeth. And then when she came back, after Elizabeth had her child, John the Baptist, she, Mary, came back up to Nazareth and it became obvious to Joseph and everybody that she was pregnant. She was with child. He was horrified. What happened? Listen to this. Verse 19. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, he was a godly man. He was a regenerated, born-again person. He loved the Lord. But he was horrified. This woman, Mary, that he had betrothed. Now remember, in Jewish law, a betrothal was legally equivalent to an actual marriage. Before the marriage was consummated for about 12 months, they were legally betrothed, and it was almost like if something happened, there would be, what, a divorce even before there was a marriage consummated. So that's what Joseph faced, a righteous man, a godly man. He was devastated. And not wanting to disgrace her, he loved her so much, he desired to put her away secretly. He could have, he could have, friends, had her stoned to death. Friends, what must it have been like in Israel to know that there would be a king someday? The prophets had said it over and over again. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and so forth. But the curse had fallen upon Jehoiakim, that none of his descendants would ever sit ruling on the throne of Judah. So how could they harmonize God's promises of a king and the curse upon any descendants of the last king? It was a situation that only God could solve by bringing what? Joseph into the scene as one who would take to himself a boy, Jesus, who had no human father, to pass on to him the legitimacy of the kingship and yet not the curse that went with it. You know, there was a similar situation back hundreds of years earlier. You remember when wicked Queen Athaliah took over the throne of Jerusalem because uh, her husband had died Jehoram and her son Ahaziah was killed. So what did she do? Listen to this, 2 Kings 11.1. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose up and destroyed all the royal offspring, all those who had the right to become the king in Jerusalem, dead. But wait, in the mysterious providence of God, the godly high priest Jehoiada and his godly wife Jehosheba did what? Took Joash the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death, placed him and his nurse in the bedroom, so they hid him, and he was there for six years. Nobody knew, well, who's the king? All the kings are gone. The children are dead. But God had a secret hiding in a bedroom for those six years. But friends, there is something else that Joseph realized. He was discovering now God's solution to that problem. You remember the curse of Jehoiakim, but, but now he realizes the timing of the coming of Messiah. As a righteous man, he knew and believed the prophecies of the book of Daniel, didn't he? You remember what Daniel was told in chapter 9 of his great prophecy? Listen to 9.25. So you are to know and discern, God said to Daniel through Gabriel, that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, yes, 
would be what? Seven weeks and 69 weeks. From when? From the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That was in 445 B.C. You remember through Nehemiah's prayers, King Artaxerxes gave permission to rebuild the walls of the city. That is when the chronology began. The clock began to tick. 69 weeks, 483 years until the Messiah, the Prince. And so Joseph must have known it was about time, just about time for Messiah to come into the world. We understand, dear friends, that these weeks, Shavuim in Hebrew, were weeks of years. Indifference, you see from chapter 10 of Daniel, verse 2, where it talks about Daniel mourning for three entire weeks of days. It says of days. That's the Holy Spirit's way of making it clearer, and the understanding was, uh, was universal among Jews that these are weeks of years, coming down to about the time when Jesus, of course, would appear on this planet. Joseph must have understood that time is near, and he wasn't the only one. Remember what the Gospel of Luke says about the two that met Joseph and Mary in the temple when, he was, when Jesus was brought there to the temple to present before the Lord? Listen to this. Behold, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, just like Joseph now, remember. But look what he was doing. He was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Consolation of Israel would be what? The king. He was looking for the king. Now, he, of course, didn't know how the king would appear through the means of the Spirit of God and a virgin woman, but he knew the timing. He was looking for the, for the Savior, not only Simeon, but listen to what uh, it says about Anna. And there was a prophetess, verse 36, that's Luke 2:36. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and a widow for 80, at the age of 84. But listen now, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for what? The redemption of Jerusalem, which could only happen, of course, through the Messiah. Well, who, who were those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem? Wouldn't you agree that had to include Joseph and Mary as righteous, godly people who knew their Old Testament scriptures? Wouldn't we be amazed how much they knew compared to what most Christians know about the book of Daniel, for example, and the prophecies that Gabriel gave to Daniel 600 years before Jesus was born. So we see, dear friends, that God was doing what? He was preparing the way for the king, even though people couldn't understand the mechanics, the details, the actual way that God would bring about a king who came from David through Solomon, yes, but was not under the curse of Jehoiakim. How could that happen? That's the mystery that Joseph began to realize, of course, as Gabriel explained some things to him, and that he would take unto himself a boy who had never had a father. Think of that, the only case in the history of the world, and therefore would not genetically inherit the curse, but receive the right to be the king by being taken as the son, legitimate son, legal son of Joseph. Isn't it amazing, friends, how humble, in fact, poverty-stricken Joseph was? When, when Simeon and Anna met Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus in the temple, according to Luke chapter 2, 
look what it says they brought as an offering. Uh, when eight days were completed, verse 21, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, notice this. To offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Well, my, that was not the plan, was it? The plan was to bring a lamb. But God made an exception. Listen to Leviticus chapter 12. If she, that is the mother of a baby boy, cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And what? And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. How sad that the one who would take Jesus into his home and function as his father, even though genetically he was not connected to Jesus at all. Joseph was an impoverished man, a, a carpenter way up in Nazareth, and that apparently never changed. He never became famous or wealthy. In fact, as we shall see, he had a very, very difficult life. And uh, we, we just are amazed at how God makes it clear over and over again. Uh, Joseph was not the king. Uh, nobody even thought of him as possibly the king. Uh, he was on, under the curse of Jeconiah, even though God overruled all those things and brought about his being the legal father to bring to Jesus the legal right to the throne of David through Solomon. Amazing how God worked these things together for his glory and for our good. So, friends, when it came the time for Messiah Christ to come into the world, uh, God made it absolutely clear that he was legitimate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, a descendant of David, son of David, by genealogy. But you see, the genealogy in Matthew 1 that traces uh, Joseph back to Solomon and David is different from the genealogy in Luke chapter 3, which traces Mary back to Adam. Listen to this statement. Luke 3.23, And when he, Jesus, began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age. Now listen, being supposedly the son of Joseph, but he was actually the son of Eli, that is, through his mother Mary, Eli being his grandfather, and back all the way to Adam. So God makes it clear, dear friends, doesn't he, that Joseph was a vital part of this whole process, giving the legitimacy of the throne to baby Jesus but not genetically connected to him, and thus to be the progenitor, the uh, conveyor of a curse of Jeconiah. Only God in his infinite wisdom could work this out through a humble, humble, righteous, godly man, Joseph, who was nevertheless a poor person, not a famous person, not necessarily a brilliant person, a glorious person, and he certainly didn't have a halo over his head, did he? And friends, he certainly didn't experience a transfiguration like Jesus did on the mount. He was not glorified. He did not glow. He was not special. He was not different. And that's an amazing thing, how God in one way honored him greatly, used him mightily for the legitimacy of the kingship of Jesus as the son of David, and yet to keep him in the shadows, in the background, compared to his infinitely glorious adopted son, the Lord Jesus. And I say, Father, I'm amazed at how you worked all these things together to accomplish your purpose in showing us the difference between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph, a humble, godly man, 
but certainly not what some people would think he was, the legitimate father of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, Jesus inherited a sin nature from, from his father? No. Did he inherit a sin nature from his mother? No. Dr. Luke tells us how that happened, as we shall see. But nevertheless, at this Christmas season, dear friends, let's recognize it. God worked all things together for good, for his glory, even though to the human observer, it was impossible for these things to happen. What a mystery, what a marvel of how God's beloved Son came into this world to be our Savior and our Redeemer from sin forever and ever. You've been listening to Encounter God's Truth with Dr. John Whitcomb. And to help you prepare for the Advent and Christmas seasons, Dr. Whitcomb will be sharing devotional thoughts at facebook.com forward slash Whitcomb Ministries. You'll see them by the title, Prepare for His Coming. Please stop by and enjoy these free resources today. And remember, we're featuring Christmas messages throughout December at sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb. We hope you'll join us there as well. Now, as always, I get to pose a question to Dr. Whitcomb, and here's one from today's lesson. Dr. Whitcomb, how do you think that Joseph would have handled life as a poor, humble carpenter, knowing that he could have been king of Israel? Do you think he was completely surprised to find that the Messiah King would be born in his home? Wayne, that is a fascinating question. What in the world was Joseph thinking about himself? He was the only incumbent in the whole world to be the king of Israel, apart from what? the curse of Jehoiakim. But for hundreds of years, let's face it, for hundreds of years, Israel as a nation had given up on having a king anymore. They saw no solution to this problem. So Joseph, as one of them, would have been absolutely shocked to learn that God had chosen him to have a part like this. We know, don't we, from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 1, that when he was uh, uh, made aware that... uh, his engaged wife was pregnant, he was shocked. He didn't say, well, this is obviously uh, the way God is making me the legitimate king to pass on the king. No, he couldn't possibly have known that. In fact, the amazing thing to me is that even Simeon and Anna knew those things. But what did they know? Did they know that Joseph was the legitimate inheritor of the kingship? Did they know that uh, that Jesus, the baby boy that they saw, was virgin-born? Uh, Had the Holy Spirit told them these things? How much did they know about the circumstances, the required conditions for the Messiah to come into the world? Yes, they knew Messiah would come at this particular time, as we've seen from Daniel 9. But did they know the, the, the mechanics of this? Can I put it that way? The actual method, means, the Holy Spirit used to bring this all about. Uh, let's not, friends, overestimate the brilliance of Joseph or the brilliance of Mary or even, as I said, the brilliance of, of Simeon and Anna. Now, surely the shepherds who were told that the Messiah would, was born and was there in Bethlehem, they wouldn't have understand all these things. They, but they told everybody that they met the wonderful news, the Messiah had come. They never sat down to say, now, how did all this take place? How did he become legitimate? And so forth. Some of these questions, friends, are on a long list of things I'm going to ask the Lord someday, <laughs> if, he, if he permits me when we go to heaven. Tell me, Lord, and I know what his answer will be, don't you? What is written in God's precious word is sufficient to accomplish the plan and purpose of God without going into details that we don't have to know about. We we can speculate, we can reason this out, and I say, Lord, 
helped me to realize that Joseph was not a brilliant man, a powerful man. He was a godly man, but he didn't know secrets, neither do you or I, that God has not revealed. And I say, Lord, thank you for helping us to know what we need to know about the coming of the Messiah into the world through a virgin mother, adopted, as it were, by a righteous Jewish man who had, what, the title to be the king of Israel, apart from the curse of Jeconiah. What an amazing combination of circumstances brought God the Holy Spirit brought to pass as at this beginning of this Christmas season, we think again about the coming into this planet Earth of the creator of the universe through a Jewish woman, probably a teenage girl, 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Lord. You are infinitely wise. You never make mistakes. You're perfectly holy. You have never sinned. Help us to understand how great, how great and glorious you really are. Thanks, Dr. Whitcomb, for your ministry this week as we begin this Advent season. This program is presented by Whitcomb Ministries, Incorporated. For more information, visit us online at whitcombministries.org and sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb. Our motto reminds you to trust that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. May that statement prove even more meaningful to you during this Christmas season. As Scripture reminds us, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Next time on Encounter God's Truth, we'll continue this study with another message about Joseph that reminds us he was frustrated as a father. Until then, for Dr. John Whitcomb, I'm Wayne Shepherd, wishing you a blessed beginning to this Advent season.